Now, I wonder how you feel when you come face to face with boasting. When you come face to face with someone who's very clearly glorying in themselves, boasting about something they have done, boasting in an achievement, glorying in something that they are really good at. And I don't think there's a place that you see that more often than the sports field or the football pitch where you see people maybe uh, scoring a good goal and they do a knee slide or maybe it's some other sport where they, they, they sort of rouse the crowd to point out how good their achievement is. Or maybe it's a sports day or at school uh, where you see people boasting or, or going up to their friends and doing the loser sign in front of them to show them that they've achieved something. Boasting in their achievements. Maybe you see it at work. Maybe it's that colleague that has done something right or always seems to be in the right place at the right time. The one who's always in with the bosses and in with the right people. Maybe it's at church even. Maybe it's that theological thug who wants to tell you uh, the next, their next theological hot take and wants everyone in the church to know that they're much more holy than everybody else. There's something desperately frustrating about seeing someone boasting, isn't there? There's something desperately uh, jarring about it when you see someone glorying in themselves, bigging themselves up, making themselves seem more impressive And yet at some point in most of our lives, if we're going to be really honest, if we're going to be real this morning, we have all been tempted to boast and shout about ourselves at one point or another. And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is addressing this issue of boasting. He's addressing this issue of glorying in ourselves. He's writing to the Galatian church, a church that within its ranks were individuals who were beginning to drift, not necessarily completely denying the faith, not necessarily completely denying the Lord Jesus Christ, but beginning to drift from that important doctrine of justification by faith alone. That concept, that great theological truth that we are made righteous in God's eyes, we are made perfect, in fact, in God's eyes, not by anything we have ever done, not by a work, not by uh, some act, but by the faith that is given to us by Christ alone and through the work that he has done on Calvary's cross alone. And we see this earlier on in Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you look with me at chapter 1, you'll see it it there in in verses 6 to 9. He says to them, after addressing the, 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 the brothers that are at Galatia, he then says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is marvelling. In other translations, he says, I am astonished. I'm completely flabbergasted that you have decided to drift away from this truth, this gospel. He says it also in chapter 2 and verse 16. He, he points out that they are so wrong, they are so uh, far away uh, for, from, from the right teaching when he says in verse 16 of chapter 2, know that a man is not justified by works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. He continually, continually labours this point throughout his letter. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves you. It's nothing else. 
Because the people in the Galatian church, there were people in that church saying that drifting back towards old ceremonial customs, drifting back to circumcision in this case, and observance of the law to make ourselves right before God. They were saying that we need to observe the law in order to either achieve salvation or somehow maintain salvation. There were some people teaching that you could be saved by Christ, but you had to do loads of things in order to keep being saved by Christ. And Paul doesn't mince his words, really. If you look then at chapter 3 and and, and verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Verse 3, are you so foolish? It's pretty hard-hitting. It's pretty uh, uh, shocking, really, because this was a letter that was written to a church. In all likelihood, it would have been read out to a church. Now, can you imagine something like that being read out to us this morning? You foolish Londoners, you foolish Belvedereans. I don't know if that's a thing, but (laughs) it's, it's quite shocking. And Paul tackles these same individuals in our short passage, but at the same time, Almost simultaneously, he gives a great encouragement to the faithful Christians in that church. And so we're going to particularly look today at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Quite a famous verse. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other translations, you might have it, may far be it from me that I should boast except in the cross. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's taking for yourself something that belongs to somebody else. And so for us to explore these few words of the Apostle Paul, I want us to note down three headings to help keep us on track. And you will recognize these headings because I've stolen them from our hymns this morning. So the hymns will be as follows. First of all, I will not boast in anything as we just sung, from how deep the Father's love for us. Our second heading, in the cross, be my glory ever, which is from the chorus of the hymn we sung earlier, Jesus keep me near the cross. And then thirdly and finally, our final heading will be, then am I dead to all the globe, which we will sing uh, in a moment. So let's notice firstly, I will not boast in anything. Read verse, the very first part of verse 14 with me. But God forbid that I should glory, that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross. Paul here is saying that there is nothing in his life worth boasting about. There is nothing in his life worth glorying in except the cross. Look at us, how he looks it, how he says it. May I never boast. Far be it from me in other translations. God forbid. Boasting, glorying in myself should be so, so far removed from me that it's unthinkable. The idea of glorying in myself is vile and hideous to Paul. The Greek word he uses here is the most extreme way of saying you have no interest in something. 
You know, maybe when you've got a salesman or something like that who's trying to sell something and you're really not interested, you kind of think of a polite way to let them down gently. Well, it's not like that. He is using a very extreme, no, I'm not interested, go away, I want nothing to do with you. That is what he is saying to glorying in himself. God forbid. In, in Romans 3 and verse 27, he talks about boasting, he talks about glorying himself, and he says it's excluded. It doesn't happen. For the Christian, it is foreign to them. You see how disgusting and hideous glorying in anything else is to Paul. And yet this is not someone who had nothing to boast in. Let's just think together uh, for a moment of all of the things that Paul could have boasted in. And you might want to note them down. First of all, he could have boasted in his background and his social status. Paul was a Roman citizen. He therefore had special privileges. As a Roman citizen uh, at, at that time, you were one of the highest, most respected individuals. He would have been highly regarded, well thought of by everyone, respected in a way that means that if, if you saw him, you'd offer to buy him a drink. If you saw him, you'd hold the door open for him. He was a VIP. He was highly regarded. He was highly respected. And yet he doesn't boast in that. He could have boasted in his own superior intellect. You see, Paul was a clever, intelligent man. One of the most intelligent, most educated people of his day. Not just an intelligent person, but one of the most intelligent people that you would know. If if, if the apostle was around today, he would be lecturing at Oxford. He'd be lecturing at Cambridge. He'd be lecturing at Harvard. And you know those sort of people at school... Or those sort of people that you know who are complete know-it-alls. Those people who always seem to be right and unfortunately a lot of the time they are. <laughs> Frustrating, isn't it? Well, Paul, uh, you could put him in this category, but instead of those, those kind of people you're familiar with, he doesn't boast in it. He could have claimed this as some uh, way of, of getting more respect from people, but he doesn't. Now, Paul himself was actually a Jew. So he himself was circumcised. He himself had observed the law in the way that some people in the Galatian church were trying to advocate for. He was a a very similar profile to a lot of the people that he was criticising and attacking in this letter. And yet he refuses to let them off the hook for boasting or suggesting that their circumcision or their works of the law contribute in any way to their salvation. The apostle has nothing to do with it. These people boasting in their religious achievements. These people boasting in their superior theological skill. He has nothing to do with it. You see, knowing theology is really important. Understanding the character of God. Understanding how God behaves. Understanding his word is something we ought to strive after. But be very careful. You can be a very talented theologian. You can know all of the right doctrines and the right proof texts and still be frozen solid. It is very often the case that some of the most intelligent people and some of the most gifted communicators at theology themselves are not walking with God. I suppose, wrote Charles Spurgeon, there is no one more orthodox than the devil, yet no one is more surely lost than he. So can I ask you this morning, what about you? 
Are there things that you are clinging on to, boasting about to others because you think it will save you? Or have you experienced true conversion where you forsake all else? Where you say to your old self, goodbye, I want nothing to do with you anymore. And you follow after Christ. And you glory in him. You boast in him. And you see this conversion experience is something else that Paul could have boasted in. He could have boasted in his own conversion. He could have gloried in his own testimony. Most of us will be familiar in Acts chapter 9 of Paul's road to Damascus experience where the sky opens up, where God dramatically calls out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's dramatically and remarkably saved. And some of us here this morning will have dramatic stories of how we came to Christ. But is it possible that sometimes we tell that testimony not to give glory to God, but to give credit to To ourselves. Our testimonies are important. Telling people what has happened in my life. How I have been changed and transformed. It's important. But we have to do it for the right reasons. Look world. Look how cool I once was. Before I became a Christian. Look how rebellious I was. I'm just like you non-Christians really. Or look church. Look how smart I was to clean up my act. Look how intelligent I was to go and follow Christ. Look at my amazing conversion. Aren't I a great Christian now? And so what else is there that we could be boasting in? Could it be the case that this morning we're boasting in our work or our career? Maybe it's the case this morning that things are going pretty well for you at the moment. And so we're boasting in that. We're glorying in that. Maybe it's your money. Maybe you're good with money. Or you're financially well off. And so you boast in that. You want people to know how wealthy you are. You want people to know how much money you've got because it gives you some form of status. Maybe it's fame. Maybe it's the case that you have uh, status in certain environments and you want people to know about it. We don't boast in that. Maybe it's intelligence. Maybe it's your sporting achievements. Maybe it's your physical appearance that you're boasting in. Maybe it's your possessions. That you're boasting in. Things you've got, your car, your house, other things. You see, we live in a very materialistic world. And it reminds me uh, of a story that I heard a little while ago. I don't think it's a completely true story. But it's of a man who had a brand new Aston Martin. And he was driving it along the road. uh, And he stopped, he pulled over. And he opened up his car. And as he opened the car door, a lorry came shooting past. And took the door right off the side of his car and someone came running up to him and said are you okay are you okay he said yes I'm fine did you get the registration of the man who drove that lorry I want to go after him and the person's already dialing on his phone and calling and he asks for an ambulance and the man says why are you calling an ambulance that lorry has just gone off with my car door on the front of his bonnet go and get the police because they've just crashed into me and the person says to, who's on the phone to the, to, to the ambulance says Have you not looked down at your arm? And he looks down at his arm and it's fallen off. As he's opened the door, the lorry has taken his arm with the door. And he says, oh great, that means my Rolex watch has gone as well. (laughs) You see, you see, it's really easy to boast in our possessions and to take all of our pride in our, uh, our possessions and the things we've got. And maybe it's even the case that we are boasting in the things that we have done for God. 
if you're a Christian, there's only one thing that you should, should really be boasting in, but it's possible. It's time. Paul writes about it in his letter to the, to the Philippians, about people who are preaching the gospel for a different reason. To show off, to be able to demonstrate to people uh, that they are gifted in certain areas. We should be doing our service to God out of a sense of duty and longing to see his name honoured. You shouldn't be delighting in anything else. You shouldn't be enjoying anything else in the same way. You shouldn't be idolising anything else other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've looked at that phrase from the hymn, I will not boast in anything. I would now ask that we consider secondly, in the cross be my glory ever. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What happened there? The perfect son of God, the righteous lamb, the one who had done no evil, the one who had done no wrong, hung there paying the just penalty for your sin and for my sin. He'd done nothing wrong. And yet all of God's anger, all of God's wrath was poured out on him so that you and I can walk free. And so now we glory in that. We glory in the cross. And I want us to think how strange a thing that is. How can it be that we are able to glory in a method of execution? This is not something romantic. This is not something we wear around our neck and maybe have, you see some people tattooed with it on their arm. We're glorying, boasting in a method of execution. God forbid, may it never be, that I glory except in the firing squad. God forbid that I glory except in the electric chair. May it never be that I boast except in the lethal injection. See, it doesn't work, does it? Why is it that there's this only one source of execution, this one method of execution that I can glory in? Because it's where the Prince of Glory died. You see, that cross wasn't anyone's cross. That cross was not where just some one person died. It is where God himself stepped in to take your sin upon himself and say, it is finished, it is done, you are forgiven. And so the Christian's greatest joy should no longer be anything else. The Christian's greatest joy should not be in fame or wealth or possessions or anything like that because it is now all about Christ. It's all about him. The whole reason we are here is for his glory. The whole reason we are still here is because he purchased you on the cross so that your life is no longer yours, but it's his. Can you honestly say that? That as a Christian, your first priority, your first concern is delighting in the cross of Christ and pointing other people to the cross of Christ. And if you're not sure the answer to that question, there's a really simple way that we can find out. Let's, ask, let's, let's, let's go and ask some of your closest non-Christian friends. Let's go and ask some of those colleagues that you work with on a daily basis. What is it that is most important to you? What is it they talk about most? What is it that they always seem to consistently do? And then we'll very, very quickly get an answer of what it is you are glorying in what it is 
you are boasting in? How much do you truly treasure and value Christ? Are you able to pray and sit down in front of his word and and just watch the time melt away as you do it? If not, it's because you've not yet valued him. Or maybe it's the case that you are a seasonal Christian. There are times of year, maybe it's at Easter, maybe it's at Christmas, maybe it's in the summer when there's lots of things to do, maybe it's camps or, or conferences or whatever, whatever else, where you're really strong in your devotion to Christ, where you're really strong in your commitment to serve him. But as your work gets busier, or you go back uh, to, to, to school or to university, or your friends want to spend time with you, or the football season starts, you don't remove Christ altogether, but you simply just put him back into the corner of your life where you feel he belongs. You see, all of these things are good things. Having friends uh, is, is a good thing, and spending time with them is a good thing. Work is something we are commanded to do, and spending time in, in our work, focusing on, on hobbies and leisure activities to the glory of God in its right place is a good thing. But it's a a strong question we must ask ourselves occasionally. Is there ever a time when these good things have overtaken my joy in the best thing? Has it ever overtaken my love for Christ? You see, Christian, his love for you never changes. How he loves us, he loves us and it changes never more. And yet so many Christians miss this. That no matter how inconsistent we are in our walk with God, his love never changes. You are loved by God. You are loved with an everlasting love. And you must get it into your head. You must know it. You must not just assent it with your mouth. You must know you are loved by God. I want you to say it to yourself right now. I am loved by God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a joy? Should we not be so excited in our lives? Shouldn't our joy and happiness be so evident in our worship and our service to God? But not only there, shouldn't our happiness and our joy and our excitement be clear for all to see as we live our lives? Yet so many of us have a very different approach to daily life. A dull and miserable approach to God and to worship and to service of God. A sort of, you are holy, I'm a worm, stand on me and watch me squirm kind of attitude towards God. And yes, it's important to remember that we are sinful. Yes, it is important to remember just how far we are fallen. But that's not so we can get bogged down. That's not so we can beat ourselves up and spend our whole life uh, feeling so miserable for how sinful we are. But it is so that we can see just how much Christ really achieved on the cross. So we can glory in it more, not less. On the cross you saw Christ winning. On the cross you saw Christ as a victor. You know, Satan was not celebrating. Satan was not rubbing his hands and thinking he's finally got him at the cross. No, he was looking and he was seeing that on that cross it was the fulfillment of the promise that God had made several thousands of years before. That he, the devil, the serpent who had deceived, would be subjected to a greater curse, a never-ending curse. But at the same time, the curse that he, the devil, had led mankind into, had led Adam into, was being undone, was being removed. And greater blessings and greater joys that Adam even never knew 
were being bestowed upon the Christian. On the cross is your salvation. On the cross is all of the joy and all of the love that it is to know Christ. On the cross you see a wonderful saviour screaming out how much he loves you. So whatever you are going through at this time, whether it be joy, maybe things are going well, focus on the cross of Christ. Maybe it's sorrow, maybe you're going through hardship, maybe you're going through pain. Focus on the cross of Christ. And remember therefore that your only boast when things are going well... Your only boast when you are really up against it is in the cross. As such, your relationship with Christ and your relationship, therefore, with everything else has been forever changed. And so that's why I want us to notice lastly, thirdly and finally from the hymn that we will sing in a moment. Then am I dead to all the globe? Then am I dead to all the globe? Look at the last part of verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. The world has been crucified to me. If I'm a Christian, if you are a Christian, your relationship and your attitude to the world is altered. Your perception is completely changed. The way you deal with the world is radically altered. Your relationship with the world is completely transformed. You see what Paul says in verse 15, for in Christ Jesus neither uncircumcision nor, nor circumcision avails for anything. It doesn't count, it doesn't matter. But a new creation. And I quoted this last time, but make no apologies for doing it again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, behold, listen up. All things have become new. Everything has changed. Every single part of your life is transformed. All things have become new. It's not just one or two little things. It's not just readjusting your priorities. Your whole life, your whole perception, the way you see everything else is completely transformed. And yet so, so often we miss that. We think, well, as long as I just put Christ in there somewhere, that's okay. No, he takes complete priority. He, compl- he takes complete preference in anything else you do. And so the way you see the world will completely change. You see what Paul says there. The world has been crucified to me. That means you don't involve yourself in the same things anymore. That means that those sins that you once took pleasure in doing, you don't find the same pleasure for from anymore. The way you see the world changes. But then Paul also says, and I to the world. The way the world sees you also changes The way the world should look at us as Christians ought to have changed. Not always badly, but sometimes it will be badly. Can you see evidence of this in your life? Can you see evidence where people maybe behave differently around you because you're a Christian? As I say, it may be because they don't swear around you. It may be because they don't blaspheme around you or talk about vulgar things in front of you. 
But it may also be that they want absolutely nothing to do with you. Can you see evidence and occasions of, of this happening in your life? Where the world truly doesn't want to deal with you in quite the same way anymore. And where you are in the world will truly affect this. It will completely change this. You see, most of us here this morning won't and and probably won't in our lives be threatened with death or torture for the sake of Christ. I might be wrong, but probably not. And if you have, then please introduce yourself to me because I'd love to shake you by the hand. But probably no one in this room will ever be threatened with death or persecution or torture because of following Christ. But you will have to face the jokes. You will have to face the mocking and the teasing and the bullying and the people thinking you're a complete and utter weirdo. You'll probably have to face being shunned by your friends. You'll probably have to face being shunned by your family and ignored and hated for something that you have not done wrong. We shouldn't pretend, as Christians sometimes like to do, that this is really easy really straightforward i'll just sacrifice everything i'll give everything up and i'll happily be mocked and persecuted for the rest of my life it's not easy it's hard it hurts this idea this concept of being crucified to the world is painful and everything in your flesh wants to resist it everything in your flesh wants to go back to the old ways as some people in the galatian church were tempted to do And sometimes, maybe for a season, there are certain sins that appeal to you. Sometimes there are certain things that you know you should not do. Not necessarily because they're sinful, but you know they're not beneficial. But we know we cannot do them. And it's painful at times. It really hurts. It will cause you to be depressed. It will cause you to blame God. It will cause you to want to have nothing to do with him. But remember, in Christ you have something so much better. He is a glorious and wonderful king. He is the Lamb of God who has taken away your sin. He is seated on high in glory after defeating death once and for all. He stands before the Father, presenting your every request before him, and he is ready and able one day to take you home and all of your joy will be made complete there all of the peace that you were promised will be given to you for all eternity and you'll look back and you'll say what a joy it was to serve this king what a joy it is to honor and boast and glory in him and say there's nothing else There's nothing else I want to do for the rest of my life but to boast and glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you a story before we close of a a man, and I'll refer to this vaguely, who a number of years ago had a dream to serve at the very top of his organisation. And uh, from from a young adult, he had this dream of getting right to the top Uh, of his organisation and he did it he achieved it after a lot of hard work after many years of working away he achieved it but very quickly within uh, the the time that he was serving as the the manager as the leader of his organisation 
he was being asked to deny basic Christian truths. He was asked to say things that the Bible does not say. He was asked to say things or or say that the Bible doesn't say certain things uh, when the Bible did say it. He was asked to essentially deny Jesus. And so within a year, uh, despite working for many years to get to the top of his organisation, he resigned. He stepped down. And with tears in his eyes, he said, many of you are probably wondering why it is that I've worked so hard to get to the top of my organisation, to go and throw it away, to waste it, to leave, to walk away. And he said it is simply because of a love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And Christian, that is the call for you today, is to love him so much to recognise that wonderful divine mercy that he has shown you, that you are willing and ready to live for him. And let's praise God as we do that, because it's a joy.